Welcome to a limited series podcast from wealthmanagement.com. What financial advisors need to know about ESG rating systems. Let's jump right into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast brought to you by wealthmanagement.com. This new podcast is going to be all about advisor technology and is hosted by Davis Janowski. Davis, how are you today? I'm good, Eric. Thanks uh, thanks for bringing us in here. Yeah, I'm excited because today is the, the the first podcast that you're doing with a guest and you brought in Thomas Koo. Is that correct, Thomas? That's correct. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Thomas. Thomas, from what I understand, you lead True Value Indexes and you've been creating benchmarks for implementing ESG investment strategies and, and licensing indices for ETFs, mutual funds, and institutional accounts. Thomas, you've spent seven years at MSCI as executive director, global head of ESG indexes. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. And your professional experience also includes 16 years at KLD Research and Analytics and service and, and service on the boards of Siri Company and the U.S. SIF. Thomas, uh, from what I read, you have an MA and PhD in economics from University of Massachusetts, Amherst, and a BA in political economy from Hampshire College. That is a tremendous uh, work experience and education experience. Davis, you hit a home run with bringing this guest in. <laughs> yeah, we uh, had several conversations. I had to, had to convince him about, the, about this, not the importance of the subject matter, but uh, we're launching this here at wealthmanagement.com and uh, I really think advisors need to know more about really what ESG rating systems are. Uh, as Eric said, my name is Dave Janowski. I'm a senior technology editor here at wealthmanagement.com. Uh, by way of background, I've spent years covering the advisory technology space, uh, except for a few breaks to work for a couple of fintech startups, uh, and as an analyst covering digital wealth management. And as we said, today we are talking about ESG rating systems and specifically what financial advisors need to know about them. Uh, Tom, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you coming in, especially as hot and humid as it is out in New York today. My pleasure. It's great to be inside. Yes, yes, it is. And you are head of indexes at True Value Labs. And so maybe you can unpack that for the audience. What, what does that mean exactly? And then maybe go over a little bit about your, your odyssey that's brought you to travel, True Value Labs. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. We live in a world where if you have a robust and differentiated data set, you probably have an opportunity to create an index. Uh, passive investing uh, is very much in vogue these days, and uh, particularly within the uh, ESG space, ESG standing for environmental, social, and governance, uh, particularly within the ESG space, uh, there are a number of, of um, uh, specialized uh, data sets that are relevant to what investors are looking for these days. And so my role at True Value Labs is to take the data that's produced uh, by the company and work with both index providers externally uh, and also fund providers who are interested in creating passive products uh, to help uh, create benchmarks that they can use for those investment products. Okay. And sort of what's a little bit about your background and the things, we, you know, Eric talked about where you've been and uh, I guess everything you've done along the way is kind of built up to what you're doing now with True Value. Sure. Yeah. So I started out almost 25 years ago mm -hmm. uh, in the ESG world. Um, it was before it was called ESG. It right. was called SRI right, back in right, those right. days, socially responsible investment. Uh, and even then, people didn't really understand what it was about. I started working for a small, specialized 
a research firm out of Boston called, at the time it was Kinder Leidenberg Domini. It was shortened to KLD so people didn't confuse us with a law firm. <laughs> and we, um, we were focused on bringing information to investment managers uh, who are interested in screening their portfolios on, on various issues. Uh, it turns out that there was a lot of education that needed to be done. The market was really brand new, and we did a lot of evangelizing and education as a part of uh, our work. Um, and uh, one of the things that we did uh, early on in the life of the firm, just before I got there, was the creation of the first uh, ESG or SRI index, which then was called the uh, Domini 400 Social Index and is now the uh, MSCI KLD 400 Social Index. So early on, indexing was a part of the uh, project of helping to uh, bring um, uh, rigor to the practice of, of uh, ESG investing. I was there for 16 years, during which time I was an analyst, I did product development, I did sales and marketing, and eventually um, found my way uh, into an opportunity to create an index uh, business unit within the firm. And so starting in the early 2000s, that's where I turned my attention. And some years later, uh, MSCI was acquired first by Risk Metrics Group in 2009, and then in 2010, MSCI acquired Risk Metrics Group, and I found myself um, uh, in the uh, enviable position of doing ESG indexes, which were quite, quite niche in those days, at a big index company. Oh, wow. So it was... Um, I would say, you know, more uh, uh, good luck than, um, <laughs> than uh, uh, you know, great, great work in, in that sense. On the other hand, uh, it provided a real platform for um, bringing visibility to ESG research and ratings on the one hand, and also to benchmarks based on that, uh, on that information. I'm currently with uh, True Value Labs, which is a um, Silicon Valley venture capital-backed startup um, based in San Francisco. Um, True Value Labs uses elements of artificial intelligence, specifically natural language processing and machine learning, to source ESG investment signals from unstructured data. And if, you, um, if you're not familiar with all of this terminology, unstructured data is um, basically text information that's uh, sort of out there on the internet in the data sphere. But uh, as we know, we live in a day and age when that the volume of that information is proliferating on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's becoming uh, uh, the views about companies on ESG and sustainability issues uh, are becoming more and more important in determining the market's perception uh, of these companies. True Value Labs was founded in 2013. Uh, as I said, it's based in San Francisco. We currently employ about 50 people, um, most of whom are engineers. Oh, that's that's good to hear. Uh, all too often in, in startups, that's not the case. Now, going back to where when you first started, there really were no standards as such yet in the ESG or SRI space. It, how, how long have standards been around and sort of how many are there? Well, as with any new approach to investment, mm. standards evolve. Uh, 
They they evolve based on practice. Uh, they involve uh, they evolve based on practice, and they evolve um, in response to the demands of investors uh, as they become increasingly sophisticated um, in the kinds of questions they ask and their uh, their objectives as investors. So I, I think it's fair to say that. Um, uh, as this market grows, and it is growing very rapidly these days, the issue of standards is an increasingly important one. So standards are important because they guide the decisions of different players in the investment value chain, and that includes um, clients themselves, investment advisors, or for institutional investors, uh, investment consultants, mm. and asset managers as well. And so as this field becomes more and more popular and more funds come to market and more assets move into those funds, the, um, the quest for standards uh, is becoming more urgent. Yeah. And so how would you fold that into sort of an overall definition of, of what ESG investing is? ESG investing is an approach that's developed at least over the past 50 plus years. Some people actually take it back centuries oh, well, to... Um, far longer than I expected. Okay. Well, uh, you know, uh, in some sense, the original um, uh, ESG investors or, or socially responsible investors were the Quakers mm. who refused to profit from um, uh, investments in armaments uh, uh, makers. Right, right. Uh, because okay. of their... Uh, you know, principles and beliefs about uh, pacifism. But in, in its modern form, it's really about 50 years old, um, uh, having e evolved from the, in the U.S., from the first SRI mutual fund, which was launched by PAX, PAX World Funds in, uh, in the early 1970s. And I think it's important that people appreciate that uh, ESG, as I said, is an approach to investing. It's not an asset class. And it incorporates environmental, social, and governance factors into investment decision-making. So it's additive to the investment process that investment managers already have in place. It's not a substitute for them. Uh, it's, it's additional information to help make more informed investments. And it comes under the heading of a variety of descriptors, some of which we've already used, SRI, or Socially Responsible Investing, ESG, Sustainable, Impact, Ethical. Um, these, I think, are different ways of describing sort of allied approaches, um, which have the intention to take into account the impact of investments on the world. Um, and it starts from the premise that all investments have an impact, and therefore, What's different about it is that ESG investors are intentional about how they invest with the objective of achieving more sustainable outcomes from their financial activities. So they change how they invest to change the outcome of their investments. Okay. All right. Well, what, what do you think are the most important points that financial advisors need to know about the, the rating systems that are, that are out there? Before I get into rating systems, I, I, I think it's worth observing that uh, advisors don't need to be experts on ESG to give prudent and useful guidance to their clients. That's good to hear because I, I talk to an awful lot. There's a very small minority that would claim to be an expert and you dig a little deeper and they're not. And then there's many, many, many more. The vast majority really want more guidance because they hear many different things. So that's great. 
Sure. And, and, and uh, there are a number of people who have very specialized businesses that, that focus uh, exclusively or almost exclusively on sustainable investment. Um, and there are others for whom it's a part of their practice. Um, but I think the point is that you, you start where you are and you, you use the same basic approach you would use um, as an advisor for any investment. So you need to provide the same level of due diligence you would for any fund you might be recommending, for example. So you read the prospectus for the investment objectives, and in this case, also to learn how ESG is incorporated into stock selection um, to ensure that it aligns with the client's investment and ESG goals. So you're taking, you're looking for uh, risk tolerance, uh, asset class exposure, um, and this additional dimension uh, associated with su uh, sustainability. Today, I think there are a sufficient number of mutual funds and ETFs in the market to put together um, the same asset allocation plan you would put together for any of your clients. And essentially, it's most important to uh, do your homework. Um, there are um, both um, Morningstar and MSCI fund ratings that have, I think, helped uh, provide, you know, a perspective for um, both retail and, um, uh, and wealth management clients. Uh, but ultimately, the most important thing is to have the conversation. To, to not be afraid to ask the questions about whether or not uh, sustainable or ESG investment is something that your clients are interested in because you scratch the surface. You know, they may have been afraid to ask on their own, but you scratch the surface, you open, uh, you open up the conversation, and uh, you might indeed find that it's something that uh, they're very interested in. So it's a way to serve clients' needs. Uh, it's a way to... Uh, you know, build your book of business. Uh, and it's also a way to differentiate your practice as an advisor. That's interesting because I, I have in speaking to quite a few advisors, I think many of them, and I think it probably ranges towards the older, more conservative advisors tend to wait on this until the, the client brings it up first. And I'm, I'm sure skewing towards the younger investors, they're more likely to ask about it themselves. But that, that's interesting. So you think many, many probably middle-aged and, and boomer investors, this is probably of interest to them, but it may need the advisor to actually bring it up. To say. It, it may need prompting. Mm -hmm. uh, my understanding is that at the wirehouses, for example, and I'm sure at a number of other places, the goal, uh, the, the goal of the people running that business from the home office is to ensure that there's a conversation about sustainable investment with every client that is either under advisement at the firm or who walks in the door. And that way you know that uh, you've had the conversation and they may say, this is not something I'm particularly interested in or not interested in now, or I am, let's talk some more. Got it. Okay. When it comes to, you, you talked about what Trevelyan is doing and, and this whole notion of unstructured data. Um, is most of that public data or is that coming from kind of private data sets as well or you know, what are we talking about overall when not just true, but the other ratings companies are, are doing to come up with the ratings there? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think to, to, to frame an answer to that question, it's important to understand that True Value Labs is bringing a technology-based model, which is distinct from the traditional ESG research firms, which are analyst-driven. 
Um, and so True Value Lab sees itself as a disruptor of the traditional uh, ESG research market because we really are approaching things quite differently uh, in that regard. The importance of unstructured data is that it's a, it provides a wealth of information about ESG issues at these companies that uh, people are interested in investing in. In order to make sense of any data set, you need a framework. And what True Value Labs did for a framework is to adopt a, a, a materiality-based framework from an organization called the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, or SASB. And the, the virtue of that from our perspective is that it's an industry-vetted uh, it's an industry vetted framework, and it's essentially open source in the sense that you can go look it up um, you know, on the SASB side, on the SASB website. And um, as compared to the traditional uh, approach, the, the more established ESG research firms have developed rating systems based on proprietary black box models. Mm. And while there's a lot of, I would say, thought, care, and uh, sophisticated um, uh, work that goes into those, uh, the, the problem, if you will, uh, and this goes back to the standards question, is that because they're proprietary and because they're opaque, they're not easily understood um, by market participants. Uh, and so in some sense, the message is you have to trust us. Right. Right. So True Value Labs has taken a somewhat different approach. We, we were sort of open architecture uh, from a framework perspective, uh, which, which we think um, addresses the market's concerns about, um, uh, about transparency. Uh, and in addition to that, the other source of data that's been traditionally used is company reported information. Right. And if you go back 15, 20, 25 years, uh, investors put a lot of attention and effort into getting companies to disclose on environmental, social, and governance issues because there was no information. It's not mandated um, uh, by regulators, um, at least in this country. Uh, and that kind of regulation has only started to come online in other parts of the world like Europe. But the uh, uh, result is that, you know, for, for many years, there was just simply very little information to work with. And so pressure was put on companies or requests were made of companies to disclose information. And so there was a, a, a period in the late 90s and the early 2000s when we saw information coming out in the form of uh, sustainability or CSR, corporate social responsibility reports published by companies alongside their um, alongside their annual reports. Uh, the good news is there's more information available. The bad news is it's unaudited uh, information and um, therefore can't really be verified and can be framed by companies to tell a particular narrative. And so to the extent that traditional ratings depend on company reported data, and, and it's a I think an important ingredient for for most of the um, uh, traditional rating agencies. To the extent that company reported data is one of those ingredients, uh, at True Value Labs we see it as a biased source. So, getting back to your question about unstructured data, um, we curate a list of uh, media sources 
uh, industry trade, publications, blogs, uh, and so on, NGOs and watchdog groups, academics and uh, industry and issue experts, and look at more than 100,000 sources every day um, using, using the technology and filtering it through the SASB framework. And so what we're able to get is, in essence, the, a stakeholder sentiment perspective on companies from, uh, uh, from a wide range of data sources uh, that provides a very uh, sort of comprehensive view of what the market thinks uh, about these companies. And so without looking at unstructured data or analyzing it in that way, uh, you're probably going to have a very different answer from whoever it is you're, you're basing the system, getting the system from, uh, especially if it's sort of a black box and proprietary. Okay. Exactly. And, and, and so it, at the very least, you're missing an important part of the picture, mm. um, and perhaps you're missing more. And would you say that many... Uh, investing firms, be the institutional retailer, they do they tend to look at multiple rating systems uh, at one time versus sort of standardizing on one. If we'd had this conversation five years ago or ten years ago, I would say that the standard in the market was uh, find a particular vendor whose right. approach you like and and use that information and build products around that. I I I should add that there are fundamentally two approaches to uh, sort of bringing ESG into investment. And there are fundamentally two approaches to bringing ESG into investments. One is to create ESG products. Mm. So products that sort of stand alone and have uh, ESG integrated into the into the structure of decision-making itself. The other approach is what's called ESG integration which is to uh, build um, ESG factors into the overall investment process at a firm so that it it permeates the uh, entire uh, uh, investment um, uh, decision-making across a firm. And so one is, one is uh, the, the, the latter is, is sort of ESG as a process, the former is ESG as a product. Okay, so the latter really a firm is... It's going to be a fundamental difference in the way the firm is run uh, doing that versus the, the former. Exactly. And as I said, five, 10 years ago, firms were pretty happy buying from one vendor. Um, they would do their due diligence. They would um, uh, make a decision. Often it was uh, budget driven. Mm. And, and these days, things are actually very different. In part, I think it has to do with growing sophistication on the part of the asset managers and the fund managers um, who are interested in forming their own views on um, what the appropriate ESG factors to look at are and then how to integrate them into their investment uh, decision making. Um, and in, in part, uh, I think it's a matter of differentiation. Uh, and so what they're tending to do these days is buy from multiple sources, looking not just at the top line and maybe not at the top line rating at all, but at the underlying data on which it's based and creating, taking data from a number of sources and creating a composite 
perspective um, that reflect their particular view on uh, sustainability and sustainable investment. That makes sense. But I have to say those early days are not over. Uh, just two months ago, I spoke to a multi-billion dollar RIA on the West Coast that had uh, standardized on one of the companies. I won't say which one that we've already mentioned, mm-hmm. but uh, that, that was it. That was the sole basis. For yeah. And, th- and that's still, I would say that's the norm, mm. but I think that's evolving. This is a market that is, um, on the one hand, uh, come a long way in the last 25 years. Uh, on the other hand, is really nascent in many ways. Um, but has achieved a, a level of sophistication that warrants the kind of growth um, that we're seeing. Today, for example, globally, industry trade groups estimate that there's um, more than $30 trillion in a range of um, ESG strategies, and that's up 34% over two years. So um, the, the numbers are quite high, um, and, and I think that it, it represents um, the fact that uh, it's taking root uh, globally in different regions, uh, that there are, are a number of different strategies, and that different client segments are becoming engaged in sustainable investment. 15, 20 years ago, it was largely an institutional phenomenon. It, there were some early uh, ESG or SRI mutual funds here in the U.S. and 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 in the U.K. But primarily, as it as it evolved, um, it was institutional. And as happens in in many cases, strategies that are uh, sort of hot housed in the context of the institutional market find their way downstream to wealth management and uh, retail clients. And that's a very um, important development uh, in in recent years uh, in sustainable investing. Well, that's that's a great segue to the, the next question, which is really if uh, as we were talking about initially, that in many cases I think many advisors are waiting for clients to bring it up. But um, if you are an advisor who has done some reading and and maybe has some experience, what for, what do you think they most need to convey to the client? Um, if, if the client is interested in ESG or socially responsible investing? They should convey to the client that there are options for them if they're interested, that they can do, uh, they can effectively uh, create an asset allocation plan and that the risk and return characteristics of ESG investments are similar to and sometimes better than those of the market. Mm. I think one of the big concerns that, uh, uh, and appropriately so, that everyone um, uh, has to address as they, as they move into, uh, into this area is um, the, the, the performance question. Right. And there's a, a large body of academic and practitioner literature which um, has reinforced um, uh, in a number of meta-studies coming out of places like Oxford and Deutsche Bank and and other sources, um, the the literature shows that there is no reason to expect that uh, ESG strategies will underperform and there's some reason to expect that they might um, they might outperform. Now, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't come to this exercise with the expectation that you're going to get three, four, five percent better than you <laughs> might get from a sort of plain vanilla right. uh, type of uh, investment. Uh, 
but um, uh, there there have been uh, uh, you know a number of funds that have uh, outperformed um, marginally uh, as compared to the underlying market, and I I think you know today the ecosystem uh, of of um, funds in the U.S. has grown to over two hundred and seventy. This is information from Morningstar. Um, there are uh, more than 270 open-end funds and ETFs. And the um, asset flows through Q2 year-to-date in 2019 exceeded all of those in um, 2018. In 2018, it was slightly over, it was slightly over uh, 5 uh, billion. And in the first Two quarters, uh, slightly under nine billion. Wow. For, for two quarters of 2019, it was slightly under nine billion. So year-to-date assets exceed the 2018 total. Year-to-date assets exceed the 2018 total. Um, and something else that I think is worth noting here, and this this is of course near and dear to my heart as a as an index person, uh, there's a, a growing proportion of the sustainable mutual funds and ETFs are passive. And I think that fits with the uh, sort of broader trends in the marketplace toward passive investment with fee compression and so on. Uh, because when you get uh, sustainable investments in an index format, what you get are the benefits of the transparency of, of a rules-based uh, stock selection approach. Um, you get the cost efficiency. Uh, and you also get what amounts to a long-term buy and hold strategy and uh, investors who are interested in environmental and social and governance issues are often interested, not just in sort of which companies they own, but also in having their asset managers engage with those companies uh, on ESG issues uh, on behalf of the ultimate uh, shareholders. And so uh, the, the uh, passive uh, approach to ESG fits very well alongside the active approach, um, uh, but but provides a, an, an alternative for investors who are, are interested in in uh, using passive uh, as as a way to build their portfolios. I didn't even I didn't even really uh, yes you know I didn't really even associate uh, ESG investing with active management. I, I, I think I really just assumed that it was mostly indexed these days. Is, is how, what is the sort of market share between two types of? I'm not certain about the market share, but I would say that the practice of ESG investment uh, evolved as uh, you know in the uh, with with active managers, and I think it had a lot to do with the um, uh, with the scarcity of information, so that there really was a lot of, in essence, fundamental um, uh, research required in order to uh, select companies. But I think as we've, you know, we moved from a period in the in the eighties and nineties when information was very scarce; it was essentially pre digital, uh, to a period of of information abundance in the late nineties and early two thousands, and that's when you see the the rise of the uh, rating agencies because the the question that clients of the ESG research firms were asking the the asset managers were asking of the ESG research firms was. Okay, so it used to be there was very little information and providing some was, was valuable. But now there's so much information. Help me discern what really matters, what's important here. 
And that's where you get ESG ratings. And now I think we're moving into a new era with the proliferation uh, of, of unstructured data um, and a, a sort of a superabundance of data when the kinds of answers that investors want and need to make informed investment decisions uh, about ESG issues really is to be found in the world of unstructured data. Okay. Well, I think we've only got time for one more question here. Uh, but And what, are the, what would you say are the strengths and weaknesses of various rating systems that are out there? It's a tough question. You know, in some sense, uh, the ESG ratings have never been better. They've never. And that's, and that's <clears throat> both the, the pri proprietary <clears throat> systems and, and yeah. those based more on standards, I, I guess. Yeah. Is that yeah. a consequence sort of the, the length of time they've been worked upon, whether it's proprietary or not, that it's, there's better understanding? Or one of, one of the ironies of what's going on today is that the ESG research has never been better. On the other hand, the market has never been more vocal about its dissatisfaction with it. Uh, and it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon to, to observe. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that uh, there are many investors moving into this space and they're looking at it and, and they're looking at, for example, studies which show that uh, there's a low correlation between ratings coming from some of the uh, most well-known rating agencies. Uh, I don't particularly find that to be troubling because you get different buy, sell, hold recommendations from, you know, street analysts anyway. But uh, at the same time, uh, what, what, um, investors uh, ought to be looking for is, I, I think, transparency uh, about the approach that's being used, what's the framework, what's driving the ratings, sources uh, that are used, um, and I think increasingly whether or not uh, firms have the capacity to search out information that um, uh, is is out there in the world of unstructured data to bring that into the analysis because the problem with the proliferation of data is that no matter how many analysts you hire, you can't keep up with all the relevant information, which is why technology uh, is essential to um, uh, the next generation of, of, of ESG ratings. Uh, and I think that... Um, a number of firms are, are sort of waking up to this. I think there are firms out there like True Value Labs that have been pioneers uh, in this area. And one of the things that's really characterized the whole ESG research area is that um, there's been a lot of M&A activity in the mm. last um, mm. five years. It's been taking place for the last 10 years, but in the last five years, there's been a lot of M&A activity, which just gives you an indication of the opportunity that larger firms are seeing in the field of sustainable investment. Wow. Well, Tom, I really want to thank you for coming in today. Uh, I think you've shed some very important light on a lot of subjects that I think most advisors really haven't heard much about today. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is, I, I love this subject. I love it, love it, love it. ESG is, is fascinating to me and uh, I learned a lot. So I appreciate you being in. Davis, thank you so much for bringing him in. And Davis, thank you for starting this new podcast series uh, on ESG within this new wealthmanagement.com podcast that you're launching. I'm, I'm excited to be working with you and I look forward to many, many podcasts in the future. 
Uh, and, and since you're out there listening to this, I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, which I know you probably haven't, uh, because this is one of the first ones, click the subscribe button below and it'll show up directly on your listening device. This will make it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and coworkers. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at wealthmanagement.com, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the wealthmanagement.com podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.